Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Christopher Harris, and we're joined by Kartik Krishnayer. Uh, this week we're doing this on video and, of course, on audio podcast. So if you do want to watch this on video, uh, head on over or subscribe to youtube.com slash World Soccer Talk. Kartik, how was your weekend? It, it was quite good, and uh, a lot going on in the world of football. Tough to, tough to keep up with everything. I, I know this is something that really bothers you, as it does me, for different reasons. Um, but VAR, uh, VAR <laughs> is having an impact. I think on uh, you've t- you've said this before, but it's having an impact on the enjoyment of the game. Not only the enjoyment of the game, but particularly the Premier League. Um, it, it, I mean, to me, it's just getting too. It's getting involved too many times, and then it's taking too long to make a decision. It disrupts the flow of the game, and it's so frustrating to watch. I, I, I mean, just a couple of examples, obviously, from this weekend. One was the Man United against Fulham game, uh, the goal that was disallowed due to Harry Maguire, uh, a subjective offside decision, which was um, you mean, near the back post and interfering with the defender. Um, if we had to go back through the last, say, 20 to 30 years and analyze some of the greatest goals scored in the history of soccer. If, if we, if we took VAR, probably about half of those would be disallowed because of, you mean some small thing that happened. Oh God, what's your take on, on this whole VAR, VAR controversy? I, I hate VAR. I don't think it should be there. I think what it's done is added an extra layer of subjectivity uh, to the process. Uh, maybe it's shielding referees from criticism because now because now you have uh, uh, VAR officials that get criticized, but uh, it's slowing down the game. It's uh, it's curtailing the um, the enjoyment. In fact, after a goal now in the Premier League specifically, uh, you wait and you don't react until you know it's been confirmed. Now I have to say this season I'm watching. I always watch a lot of Bundesliga, but I'm watching more more of Italy, more of Spain than I, I have the last few years. VAR gets as many decisions wrong in those leagues, uh, and particularly in Germany last season. I got a, several decisions wrong, in my opinion, but um, as many bad decisions in those leagues as in the Premier League. But there is a key difference. Those decisions are made quickly uh, in those leagues. The Premier League seems to have a specific problem with drawing the decision-making out, um, which uh, Stuart Robson, who, by the way, was on COCOMS for... Um, 
uh, the Derek Classicer, which hopefully we don't talk about that match again after this, but was on co-comps with Derek Ray uh, this weekend on ESPN Plus for Derek Classicer, has made the point uh, more than once that he thinks the Premier League um, has uh, deliberately made VAR um, a spectacle. Because the Premier League is, is largely about entertainment and spectacle. So he's actually made the point previously on ESPN FC that um, that's why its application looks different in the Premier League than it does in, uh, in, the, uh, in the other leagues in, in Europe. But it's getting as many calls off uh, in every league. And honestly, it's just added another level of subjectivity. And here's my last point. Um, people tend to, and fans, I get it. They obsess about the one bad call that went against their club and the manager complaining after the match, which, by the way, happens all the time in the championship in League One and League Two where there is no VAR. Um, But the reality of the situation, in my opinion, has been through the years, and I used to get as worked up about officiating 15 years ago as as people do now. I realized over the course of a 38-match season, this is the wonderful thing about European football being season structured and not having playoffs and all these things like American sports, because yes, in American sports with playoffs, one random call can cost you right. Random bad call or wrong call. These things even out over a 38 match season in the premier league, they have even out over a 46 match season in the football league. They even out over a 34 match uh, season in the, in the Bundesliga. I'm convinced of that. And there was no need for VAR in the first place because yes, uh, a bad call can cost the team in one match, but then the next match they get a fortuitous call, and the manager and the fans don't complain about that. But these things always tended to even out over the course of the season. Right. So two things. like One thing about uh, Stuart Robson mentioning that this is a spectacle, that the Premier League wants the VAR to be a spectacle. Well, to me, it's having the kind of the re- reverse reaction, which is <laughs> a bad spectacle, embarrassing, just so frustrating to watch. But the thing about it evening out over the course of a season, I, I know this has been a point of yours, Kartik, for many, many years. But what about like Sheffield United, right? Sheffield United, uh, many years ago, yeah. got relegated because of, I mean, if you look at the, the number of points that they got relegated by, there was a goal that they scored, but it wasn't picked up. This is before VAR, right? Um and it should have been scored. And, and there, everyone... was a, there was a, a, a dive by Steven Gerrard in another match that gave Liverpool uh, a penalty, which Liverpool won 1-0 against Sheffield United. Yes. In fact, when I made the point, Chris, that was the one example that stuck out in my mind as being contrary to that. 2006-2007 Sheffield United under Neil Warnock, they did get screwed in two matches. Uh, now, I could go back through their matches and maybe find some contrary evidence, but that it's funny you mentioned that because that was the one example – when I made the point two minutes ago that I thought, eh, that's the one piece of, of, of uh, contradictory evidence. So, um, yeah, that was a bad, bad thing uh, for Sheffield United. And then, of course, there was the Carlos Tevez controversy that year, too. Maybe they shouldn't have been relegated at all uh, because right. West Ham should have been docked points. But um, that's one example. But I think there are countless other examples of calls even evening out over the course of a season. Um, and in that case, Sheffield United still had a final match day against Wigan with a winner-take-all, winner stays up. Uh, actually, Sheffield United only needed a point. Wigan needed all three points, and Wigan beat them. So um, they still had an opportunity to stay up in spite of that. Does it feel like to you that the Premier League has more, like, so so more VAR decisions being made? I mean, so more, so many instances where the offside decision 
goes down to kind of basically centimeters where there's so many kind of close calls, whether it's handballs. Is it just that we're watching the more of the Premier League or is it just that these incidents seem to happen more often? No, I think these incidents happen more often. The Bundesliga, there are very few reviews. Uh, now, again, like I said earlier, many of those reviews they've gotten wrong. And I think they, they blew a couple of uh, calls late last season, which were critical in the title race. So that's, uh, that's worthy of, of, of discussion that every league is having these problems. But I think the Premier League, they interject more. There's yeah. some sort of uh, protocol. Uh, about interjecting. And the thing that's really surprising to me is Howard Webb is now managing um, the officials in England. When he implemented VAR in the United States, I attended a workshop with him. It was a three-hour workshop uh, before VAR was implemented. And as they were implementing it initially in USL in order to make it work in MLS. Uh, And I spent some time with him and he was very much uh, concerned about the intrusiveness of of, um, it and making sure it didn't really interrupt the flow of play. And as we've seen in MLS, um, it was implemented differently. And I think, I, I still wish they didn't have it, but implemented in a more correct fashion or in a less intrusive fashion than in the Premier League. Now, maybe it's just that Webb has inherited what Mike Riley implemented in the PJMOL imp- uh, implemented uh, in England, and it's a, it's a hot mess. Yeah, so the, the intrusiveness of it is key because, like, to me, the Premier League, it's almost like they do all of their dirty laundry uh, in front of the public, which is going through the VAR. And you see the frames, you see the same frames that the VAR officials see where they're rewind, rewinding a frame and then fast forwarding and back and forth and looking at a different angle. You're seeing that as, as they're seeing it. And watching Major League Soccer again this weekend in, in terms of some of those playoff games. There are incidents where something happens where I, I'm watching a game and sporting Kansas City against uh, St. Louis, and I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, that definitely should be a red card for sure. Um, the player's hurt, he's down. That was a really, really, really physical tackle from behind. And then they mention, okay, yes, obviously Zvara's going to take a look at this, and then maybe about 30 seconds to a minute later, the referee blows his whistle, and, and the game continues. So yeah. for the viewer, it feels like, okay, it's less disruptions. It's less intrusive. Uh, we're actually, and the game continues, right? But to me, though, we miss that dirty laundry. We, I mean, was that, was that, should that have been a red card? There's a lot of trust and faith placed in the MLS VAR that they're getting it right. And a lot of people think that the, the MLS method is better. I'm not so sure they're getting the decisions correct. Um, and maybe the Premier League one is like they're so focused on making the right decisions and scared of making a wrong decision in case they get sued or demoted. Or um, So it's like I, I think of it as, as the Wizard of Oz when they go to the Emerald City and there's the Wizard and all these wonderful things are happening. Well, Major League Soccer, basically the Wizard's behind the curtain. He's like pulling on the levers. He's doing all, all everything behind the scenes. Uh, so you don't get to see kind of what's actually happening. With the Premier League, it feels that that curtain has been lowered and you see the, the kind of people behind the scenes or you see the frames. And it, it's it's so frustrating because it does take too long. Yeah, and, and in terms of um, that Sheffield United example you brought up, this season, Luton, I think, were probably, probably lost a point because of VAR, VAR not acting 
against West Ham. Um, and, and so that point might loom large for Luton um, at the end of the season. Similarly, maybe Sheffield United wouldn't have gotten the VAR decisions, as it turns out. Um, mm-hmm. against Liverpool. In, in, in the one I, I'm thinking specifically, you're, you're right about the handball. I'm remembering when Gerrard clearly died for a penalty um, and, and uh, converted the penalty and, and Liverpool beat them 1-0 uh, late that season. I, I think uh, uh, this is an interesting point because Howard Webb, in the workshop we had with him, which now was six, six and a half years ago, um, MLS implemented VAR in 2017. They started it as a pilot program in select USL matches, which is what he was walking us through that day. And then they implemented it full on in, in MLS for the playoffs that year in 2017. So it's been six years, um, seven seasons, really. Uh, and he was stressing to us, the VAR um, officials are always working. So the game may continue, the match may continue, but they're making a decision. They're reviewing uh, the tape. They're in communication with the referee on the field. And um, they'll make the decision quickly, which is exactly what you're alluding to in MLS. Now, in terms of the Premier League, it seems like they always blow the whistle Mm -hmm. when there's a VAR review and they walk us through everything. Maybe they think that's more transparent. So you're right. Actually, as you mentioned, you you make a great point, Chris. Uh, We don't know about the there is no transparency in the MLS system. Right. Right. We're just trusting them that they got yeah. the decision right or that they reviewed the decision at all. In the Premier League, we're seeing everything. But um, it's slowing down matches. Like this this Newcastle-Arsenal situation the other day, um, I, I, I don't know whether it should have been a goal or not, right? That That's debatable, and, and obviously um, that's very controversial, whether Anthony Gordon's goal should have stood. But here's the reality. They, they did three different VAR reviews yep. on one goal. On one play, <laughs> a, a, a piece of play. Yeah. And that doesn't happen in Germany, Italy, Spain, France, uh, MLS, uh, anywhere else in the world. So I, I think it is a real problem in the Premier League. Yeah, my, my feeling, is, I mean, so I don't think things even out over the course of a season. Um, there probably some seasons it might be that way, but some seasons I think teams get definitely hurt by some of these decisions. Um, I'm against far. I think they should either eliminate it, eliminate it completely which a lot of people say, well, they can't do that now. It's too late. But, but yeah, to me, there's still a possibility. But but get rid of it completely or change the laws of the game. Change the laws of the game. I mean, when you think about it, too, I mean, the handball decision in terms of soccer was originally brought in to stop people kind of a deliberate handballs. I mean, basically, almost they can't play like rugby. Yeah, there's no hands involved. Um, so when it's accidental, it's accidental to me. If it's a blatant handball, it's a, it's a handball. Um, even the, the push on the back, uh, uh, for that, uh, goal by, uh, Newcastle to me, I don't know. It's, it's, if you're going to go down to that, I, I don't know. To me, it's like, it's a physical game. You mean allow those types of things unless it's a blatant, a blatant foul. And to me, Having watched that so many times, I mean, depending on which side of the fence you're on, you might see it one way or the other. But to me, if it's not completely blatant, then the goals should stand. But they don't even did. get the handball decisions right. I mentioned the Luton situation against West Ham earlier in the season when uh, Ward Prowse clearly is, has his hand in an unnatural position. Yeah, the ball strikes his hand in the area. It's going. It should be a Luton penalty, and I think that was like the fifth minute of stoppage time. So, assuming Carlton Morris, whoever step, steps up, 
and, and takes it and, and converts it, that that's one point. Because it was so late in the match, we can definitively say it would have made a difference. So they're not even getting the handball interpretations right because there are other times VAR is looking at handballs, which are clearly ball to hand, hand tucked in, um, and they're calling it. Yeah. It depends and, on who the VAR official is. And, so and it's, these, again, it's subjective. And these are the biggest talking points of the weekend. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, I mean right. you and I are starting off the podcast talking about a VAR. That's probably the last thing we want to talk so, about. So yesterday, but... Sky, uh, uh, for, 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 for their Sunday football, they spent the first 17 minutes of their program on the controversy in the Newcastle Arsenal match. Right. Before Similar... they got to talking about Luton and, and Liverpool and whatever the other, not in the Forest yeah. and, and Villa. Similar to NBC, NBC started yeah. off their broadcast on Sunday morning talking about VAR and Newcastle United against Arsenal, getting the opinions of Tim Howard and Robbie Muster, whether they think, should they keep it or not? Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So I was going to say same thing with NBC then. Uh, yeah. It was 17 minutes uh, on Sky. It was similar on NBC. Uh, I assume I didn't watch the NBC studio show. But uh, this is... As you said, Chris, you're spot on. This is what we talk about coming out of the weekend. I'm sure when I listen to Football Weekly later today on, from The Guardian, it'll be the same thing. They'll mm -hmm. start with this, and it'll be all about VAR and, and Arteta raging. And Arteta will rage whenever they lose, right, and whenever yeah. there's some controversy. So I don't put much stock into that, although um, it'll be interesting to see how the Premier League comes down on him. But um, it took three different replays of the same action. And I think... Again, I, I don't know if the goal should have stood or not. I think on the surface, it probably should have. That's my opinion. But um, if, it, if, if uh, not having VAR means it didn't stand and it was nil-nil and we didn't have uh, seven minutes of delay or whatever it was, I'm fine with that. that that's better for me. Nil-nil, uh, they split the points when if it takes seven minutes or however long it took, five minutes, seven minutes to figure it out. Yeah, it's difficult, right? Because if it's, I mean, people talk about uh, tennis, right? And Wimbledon, and that's, I mean, easier. It's either the ball's in or the ball's out. And they're using all sorts of technology. Same thing with goal line technology. That works. It's either the ball's in or, or, or out when it's working. Um, but with offside, though, I mean, what's other than semi-automated offside decisions, using that technology that's been used in Serie A, that's been used in the World Cup, uh, Women's World Cup also, other than semi-automated offside technology, which will help certainly, what's what's how can we improve or how can the authorities improve VAR in the Premier League specifically? I don't think they can. I mean, offside is objective again because it it, it depends on the second the ball leaves the foot, and that's very difficult without extensive freeze frames to determine. So, well, there has always been a premise that. When before VAR, that the advantage goes to the attacking player because um, maybe they were they, they're level, they appear level uh, 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 on the eye, etc. But there was always that feeling. Okay, so probably the ball was released. But now we're getting into this where we're drawing lines and we're saying, well, can you legally play the ball with that part of the body, the shoulder slightly offside? It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. I agree. I mean, the tricky thing, so the semi-automated technology is the ball, which is from Adidas, have the, the technology that has a chip inside the ball so they can tell when the ball is kicked um, and then measure. So that goal, Newcastle against uh, Arsenal, that final goal where they weren't sure in, in the, the last of the three VAR uh, reviews whether or not it was offside or not. And, and they said, okay, based on what they know, based on what they can see, 
they weren't, weren't able to show whether it was offside. So that, that kind of stood. Uh, with a semi-automated technology, at least with that, they, they'd be able to see that within a short period of time. Outside of that, I'm with you, Kartik. I, I don't think there's not much there's not much else that they can do. In, in other sports, you mentioned this is re- this is interesting because in cricket, uh, I know that they have two types of technology that um, both are pretty pretty quick, thirty yeah. seconds uh, to a minute maximum. Uh, tennis, you mentioned rugby, we mentioned. Now, I, I don't watch American football, so I I I I think that it's very long the delays in American football, but that's this sport is like that, right? There are 10 minute stoppages in the middle of games. So, uh, but in college basketball, which I, I watch pretty frequently, I had stopped watching for a few years, but now I'm back full throttle. Um, it's ridiculous. And, and it's always in the last two minutes of games and the referees are going over to the monitors and they're taking forever. And this is also having an implication for broadcast, which it will have eventually also in, 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 in soccer, uh, yeah. where college basketball games are no longer on, uh, on ESPN or whoever, FS1, uh, NBC, fitting in the, broadcast, the proper broadcast windows. Mm-hmm. The previous broadcast windows they would fit into because of uh, replay, as it's called in that sport. Uh, and the same thing is about to happen with VAR uh, in soccer. The 90-minute the, uh, match, the two-hour uh, television broadcast window um, is, is, is going to be a thing of the past, which also means uh, maybe less linear coverage of the sport. I'm concerned about that. It could actually affect, because we already know we have to fight for any coverage we get of this sport in the United States. And so if you're adding a half an hour to potential broadcast windows because of VAR, um, broadcaster may just say, okay, then it's a streaming property. We don't want to show it on Linux. That, that's a concern of mine. My, my final thought about this VAR thing before we move on to the next topic is that for the Premier League, I think they really need to f- figure this out because it, to me, it, um, the VA, VAR causes two things. One, it, games are less fun. Um, I mean, you're watching a game and, it, and it's just, it's not, not as fun as it, as it can be. Well, it has been in the past, and then the uh, the second thing is I forgot. <laughs> but I mean, the the fun part part of it too. Imagine if you went to a youth soccer game, and they had VAR technology, which they, they never would. And all of these games would have basically, I mean, it would be drawn out. Someone's a kid scores a goal, and there's basically, I mean, even the, Fulham against uh, Manchester United, it was it took three and a half minutes to figure out whether or not Harry Maguire was, you mean, causing interference, basically, in that play from that Garnacho uh, header. It's it's the way the players react. So uh, Chelsea-Brentford last uh, last weekend uh, at the bridge. Brentford goes there, beats uh, their West London rival for the third successive match. Did you notice on the second goal, Neil Mope laid the ball off to, I think it was Wissa or uh, Mbueno, Mbuemo it was, to score. Mm-hmm. Mope, after... Mbwemo puts the ball in the back of the net. What's the first thing Mope does? Does he run over to Mbwemo? No. He looks at the AR. Right. I noticed yeah. that clearly. Like, the first thing he did is he looked over, waited for, like, five seconds, and then saw, okay, the flag's not up. I can go celebrate my yeah. assist. That's the yeah. player reaction. It, yeah. It's awful. So it's taking the joy out of the game, as you said. Yeah, it's taking the joy out of the game. So it's making the people are less likely to continue watching it and to, to grow. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's really frustrating to watch. All right, Kartik, speaking of something that was not frustrating to watch, uh, I didn't see it, but uh, ESPN2 had a uh, USL League One final this weekend. Uh, 
How was that match? Uh, any VAR <laughs> controversies? But any other controversies from this game? Yeah, so um, North Carolina FC, congratulations to Steve Malik and North Carolina FC. They win on penalties against Mike Jeffries, Charlotte Independence. Uh, great match. Great uh, game for them to show on uh, uh, national television, 120 minutes of good lower division American soccer action. The problem here, Chris, is the entire season of USL League One, unlike um, USL uh, Championship, where USL Championship uh, has had has a lot of games on linear television. USL League One, this is the first match they've had on linear television all year, right? Every other match has been on ESPN+. Plus. So I didn't realize this when I'm watching the game, right? I just turned the game on. I knew it was on ESPN2, uh, watched the match. But then I checked my phone after the match. I have a... a uh, about six WhatsApp or text messages from people who are fans of lower division soccer who are saying, I didn't get to watch the match because I'm a cord cutter. I've watched the uh, entire season on ESPN+. Plus. I was promised every USL League One game on ESPN+, Plus, and they delivered every game until we got to the final. And because it was on ESPN2, uh, they clicked on, apparently there was a link that even said in the match tracker, watch on ES, watch every USL League One match on ESPN+. Plus. You click mm-hmm. on it, and then it's asking for your cable or satellite provider. And so those a lot of those people didn't watch the match. Um, so this goes to a broader problem, Chris, um, that um, I think we're in a period where people who have cut the cord Mm-hmm. expect every match on streaming and the Bundesliga and La Liga have provided that in the United States um, yeah. but other Even, leagues haven't other leagues are splitting and, and that's and, yeah and we've seen in, in, in just in the last couple of weeks I mean La Liga has had some games on ESPN or ESPN 2 but at the same time it's also still on uh, ESPN Plus, ESPN Plus right. uh, the Bundesliga might have done one too in the last couple of months too where it was on one of the ESPN linear channels but again every game on, on ESPN Plus so yeah, the, the the answer to this one would have been USL and, and, and ESPN said have said should have said like, hey, ESPN two, great, but we're also going to have this game on ESPN plus too. And yeah, then, I yeah. Oh, go, sorry, no, I was, I was just going to say that. But I mean, I, I mean, for Premier League fans too, you I mean like we have to go through the whole hoops and hurdles of having, I mean, USA Network uh, and Peacock in order to watch all the games. But this one should have been better communicated, I think, in terms of. Uh, you mean that this game was not going to be on ESPN Plus or, or, to, or to resolve it? Yeah, so I think there was just an assumption it would be on ESPN Plus because in defense of USL and ESPN, every communication I got from them said ESPN2, which is why I watched the game on ESPN2. And I wasn't aware of this problem until I went through my messages on my phone after the game, actually after the penalty shootout. So three yeah. hours after or two and a half hours after kickoff. Um, but it's a, a continuing... I think bugaboo for a lot of people because um, they're expecting to get all their soccer via streaming. Um, I understand USL and ESPN's perspective on this. USL doesn't get that many games on linear television, right? So mm-hmm. why cannibalize your audience? Why not show? Um, and, and this is a topic for another day or for my Beyond the 90s site, but. Um, Soccer wars is going on right now between MLS entering the lower division fray and USL. MLS does not have any games of their lower division, MLS Next Pro, on linear television. They're all on Apple. They're all behind the paywall. So I think USL thought, okay, here's a chance for us to show on a Sunday afternoon on ESPN2 
um, a fair, a, a decent number, you know, what, what, what it'll be, 100,000, 150,000 maybe, uh, and show that we have the momentum in that soccer wars. Uh, they didn't want the audience cannibalized by streaming, but it made a lot of fans unhappy. Um, th- but I, I, I think the thing that has set the expectation, honestly, Chris, you mentioned La Liga and the Bundesliga. I think that set the expectation because um, I've had situations where my ABC station in South Florida doesn't show Bundesliga matches. They yep. preempted it. I've been very angry about it, but I've been able to watch the matches on ESPN+. Plus. Um, right. So you kind of expect that as a backup always. On a, another uh, newsworthy note, uh, this weekend uh, there's the FA Cup. Uh, in, I watched a handful of matches. I watched some of the uh, Wrexham against uh, Mansfield. Uh, Charlton Athletic against uh, Cray Valley Paper Mills, uh, as well as some other matches. But but uh, the first round FA Cup really enjoyable, and uh, Cray Valley Paper Mills uh, was able to tie Charlton Athletic one one at the Valley, uh, forcing a replay against the the former FA Cup holders. But overall, really enjoyable weekend there of FA Cup games. I mentioned MLS before. Watched some of the playoff games. Most of them are pretty physical, dull, and boring, uh, except for that Sporting Kansas City against St. Louis game um, that I mentioned earlier. Then we have uh, Matt Turner getting dropped by Nottingham Forest. And uh, this is interesting, too, because Matt Turner, at the beginning of the season, had become the first American goalkeeper to hold a starting position in the Premier League in seven years. Uh, And he was dropped uh, for the... The, the new signing, uh, the Greek goalkeeper. But uh, when you think about American goalkeepers in the Premier League, they've been in starting positions. You think of, I mean, Brad Guzan, Brad Friedel, uh, Tim Howard, uh, Casey Keller, Marcus Hanneman. Jurgen Sommer at one point, or I guess maybe he was in the League One, but uh, or, 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 what was the Division One then championship? Um, yeah, Ian Foyer played for a while. Yeah, uh, was a starting keeper for a while in England uh, in the lower divisions. Uh, so long, we've had, uh, it's a long had list. some. Who? Is it, no, I was just saying it's a long list. It's a long I mean, list. Yeah, I mean Tony Miola was at Millwall, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Was Casey Keller at one point? Yeah, and uh, uh, Casey Keller had was dropped uh, multiple times in his career. Uh, his career wasn't necessarily as smooth as Friedel's in Europe. Uh, got dropped. Uh, uh, Got replaced at Leicester, got dropped, uh, uh, went to Raya Vallecano, did fine there, but got dropped at Spurs, but would always battle back. So I want to see how Matt Turner handles this. Um, uh, he, he, obviously, he made some comments earlier in the year, which uh, I, uh, I disagree with, right? I mean, uh, uh, about um, it being harder as an American player. I, I think it's, it's uh, uh, what about Ecuadorian players? It's not hard for them. It's not hard for uh, for Japanese players. It's not hard. I mean, you, 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 you have to fight. You have to work. You have to be consistent yeah. to start uh, at, at any high-level European club. And this is my kind of overall takeaway about the United States player pool now, which is, I think it's been vastly overrated by a lot of U.S. fans, vastly overrated by a lot of media in this country. You have guys that in specific instances are very, very good, can be spectacular on a given day. The Weston McKinney's, the Christian Pulisic's, the uh, Timmy Weah's. But there's a lack of consistency and lack of consistent fitness 
level among all of these guys. Every single top American player seems to have uh, some uh, field player seems to have some sort of fitness issue other than Tim Ream, um, who, in my opinion, is the best American player. Um, and um, I, I, I think there is uh, 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 just a a a a, um, a willingness to then make excuses. Right. To then say, oh, it's because this manager, uh, I don't know, maybe Steve Cooper prefers Greek people, <laughs> Greeks to Americans. I, I don't know. Uh, but right. it's the manager. It's the club. It's the uh, media. It, and it's all it's all such noise at this point. Uh, American players have had um, incredible opportunities in Europe now. Now, 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. 20 years ago, I used to. By, by the way, people were now probably angry about what I just said, Chris. You know, you've known me for a long, long time. 20 years ago, I used to complain that Americans weren't getting a fair shot. There Mm -hmm. was a glass ceiling. There was a perception about American players that was wrong because our guys were fit. Our guys fought. Our guys were hungry. Um, And they were. And guys like Clint Dempsey broke that glass ceiling. Guys like Brian McBride, uh, Demarcus Beasley, they broke that glass ceiling. So now these guys, this generation of players has incredible opportunities because of those guys. Um, And uh, uh, unfortunately, not always, uh, often they're not taking it. And when when it doesn't go their way, they're making excuses. So I want to see how Matt Turner bounces back from this. Uh, I'm hopeful that he fights through it and he comes back. Um, I mean, look, uh, last point, I'll even just say this as a Man City fan. I had uh, people telling me Zach Steffen should start ahead of Ed Erson. Mm-hmm. a few years ago i, I mean right. come on <laughs> yeah I, I think in some ways i mean i mean so matt turner was dropped because of, of his form he's had a kind of a shaky um few weeks there for Nottingham forest and and to me it's democratic right it's like in terms of most teams almost all teams the coach is making decisions based on how good the players are and the best players will in those positions will start so if Matt Turner does go through a shaky period, which he has done, made some mistakes, then there's an opportunity for you mean the second goalkeeper to come into that position. Now there's an opportunity for Matt Turner to earn that back. It's going to take you mean a lot, a lot of hard work in practice and training. Um, but what what it's not going to take is excuses. And we've seen that you mentioned before too about Matt Turner making excuses about how it's harder for Americans. Uh, Tim Howard's making excuses for Matt Turner. Uh, several weeks ago, saying, Tim Howard was saying that uh, basically um, he was blaming coaches for being anti-American for the reason why um, it was a Pulisic was dropped from, from Chelsea. And it's not based on your nationality. It's based on consistent form. So if you're doing well enough, you'll get your chances. Once you get those chances, you have to keep at that highest level. It's, it's not easy by any means for any and player from any, any country. And, and it stays fit. fit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, to me, it's. I mean, a lot of it, unfortunately, for the U.S. players, a lot of it's been injuries, right? You look at Tyler Adams. Um, I mean, so so many injuries, and now he's out until next year at Bournemouth, uh, so on and so forth. But um, yeah, hopefully Tyler Adams will bounce back, but and hopefully Matt Turner will try to earn but, his position back. Why do Americans? So the one thing that I would argue is that Americans have a disproportionate. They're, they're disproportionate numbers of fitness issues with top American players. So I think we as a soccer playing nation, um, instead of making excuses, need to figure out why this is. Why are our guys getting injured and being on the on the mend, on the shelf for, for longer periods of time 
than uh, players of, of other nationalities. Why, why is this so endemic with American players? Um, and yeah. uh, again, good- the one exception is Tim Ream. I mean, he got hurt earlier this year. It was the first time he'd been hurt in years. Uh, and he's in his mid-30s. But yeah. um, uh, the, the newer, but he's the last generation, right? So maybe we shouldn't even be talking about him. Um, this generation of American players, there seems to be something really uh, Gio Reyna. I mean, you talked about yeah. Pulisic yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and, and Weah with injuries. I even forget Gio Reyna as a thing. That's why I didn't mention right. him because he's and hurt so a, much. There's a lot of uh, soccer fans on social media right now asking, why is Gio Reyna not playing all these games? Why is he not starting? And, and to me, a lot of it, it's not skill. A lot of it is fitness. Is, is, the, is he yeah. at, at a match fitness level? Have to have, have so many injuries. Is he ready to start? You mean, you have to, it takes and time it to, to come back. nationality. You're Welsh, Chris. There's a guy, great Welsh player, Brendan Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, right now, who is he, who has generally been pretty fit. But since he's gotten to Spurs, he's had injury problems. And I know... We're taping this Monday morning. Pastacoglu is having to grapple with a decision today. Brennan Johnson is supposedly finally fit for the first yeah. time, really, since he's been at Spurs, since they bought him for $50 million at the end of the transfer window. Does he roll the dice and start him, or is he going to have to sum him off after 30 minutes like he did uh, earlier uh, when he gave the last time he gave him a start? So this applies to players of all nationalities. It's not... Uh, picking on Americans. It happens to everyone. And unfortunately, we have a disproportionate number of players, particularly Gio Reyna, that can't stay fit at a high level. And look, it isn't like um, like training in, 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 in the U.S. leagues. You have to be fit and you have to be hungry and you have to be uh, in shape every single day in Europe. Otherwise, you get dropped. And, um, and if you're not fit enough, minor injuries will will pop up, which is what I think happened with Adams. And then finally, it became a major injury. So speaking of some American players, um, a club that had three American players last season, Leeds United, who had uh, Brendan Johnson, I mean, uh, Brendan Aronson, uh, Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney. Leeds United played on Friday in a game I'm sure you watched too, as well as I, against uh, league leaders, Leicester City, uh, at Leicester City's ground in the championship. Really good game. And Leeds United, I think, Kartik, uh, showing some potential, showing some possible opportunities to come back up to the Premier League. Still a long way to go, but what were your, what were your, th- your thoughts and analysis from this game? Yeah, and Ipswich lost on, on Saturday, which helps Leeds. I mean, it's early in the season. I don't really start looking at the table until now. So mm-hmm. now I'm looking at the table, and Leeds uh, is now only six points out of an automatic promotion spot uh, with, with that victory and uh, Ipswich uh, losing. We thought it would be 12 points gap uh after the weekend so i i think they're getting together under daniel farka i think that they have a real opportunity to come back up and this is um uh we we, we criticize american owners a fair amount but this is a really good um showcase so far for 49ers enterprises they've stuck with the project they bought out andrea rodriazani's majority share um they've reinvested in the club they went out and got a really good manager um, I think the right manager for them. Uh, it took a month or two um, with all the ins and outs, but now they're playing really good football, and I think they're going to come back up. Um, and so uh, I think we're in also, when we've, we've criticized American owners like the Glazers and, and Stan Kroenke in the past, we're into a second generation of American owners now. And I think uh, you're seeing it with Bill Foley at Bournemouth, even though they're, not, they're, they're having struggles, but he's really done a good job with that club, I, I believe, as an owner. 
best an owner can do. And 49ers Enterprises, uh, Alan Pace at Burnley, maybe the jury's out because of the way they've started the season. But I think he did a very good job consolidating the club, making some changes, bringing them back into the Premier League. So a couple of good American owners out there, a couple of good American ownership stories. Yeah, I don't know about that, though, Kartik. I mean, Bournemouth and Burnley, both of them in the bottom three of the Premier League. Yes, I, th- I think Foley's been doing a good job in terms of the way he's been running Bournemouth. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, the manager getting sacked during the international break. At, at Burnley, you mean, <laughs> something's got to change. Something's got to change. Something has to change. And yeah. uh, company, whatever he's doing, it's not working out at Burnley. I, I'm not surprised. Uh, uh, I, I am surprised they're doing so poorly. I'm not surprised Luton has been as competitive as they've been. I, I said that before the season and got laughed at. Um, they have less points than they should honestly. But I think Luton under Rob Edwards are going to scrap. They're going to fight. I think ultimately it's 50-50 whether they stay up. Sheffield United have not played as well as I thought they would, but I see more in them than I do in Burnley. So I'm really concerned about Burnley. I, I do agree with you on that, Chris. I, I think if I had to pick one team that's nailed up, nailed to go down at this point, it's them. Yeah. Uh, and then if I had to pick a second team, it would probably be Bournemouth. Um, and I'm still not I think Everton uh, doing great under uh, under um, uh, Sean Dyche, but I, I still worry that they don't have enough. It's going to come down to the end for them. Out of the bottom six teams in the Premier League, Kartik, uh, four of them potentially are owned by Americans. So you have Sheffield United, not owned by Americans, but had a win at the weekend. You have Luton Town. Uh, so the two exceptions out of those out of those six are. Uh, Sheffield United, which won. Luton, that should have won, almost came so close to winning against Liverpool. The other clubs, Burnley, American-owned, Bournemouth, American-owned, Everton, soon-to-be American-owned, and then Fulham, American-owned. And, and the American owners at, um, at, uh, that are coming into Everton are, are uh, from my view, uh, terrible owners. And they're, they're based here in South Florida. I, I've kept track of them. Uh, they have done a poor job with their other clubs uh, on the continent, their other investments. So I, I, I'm not I, – I, Mashiri had to be bought out. Um, Bill Kentwright just passed away. Uh, rest in peace to him. Uh, so something had to happen at Everton. But, uh, boy, I, I always thought Everton would get a, a big-time owner at some point. It's that kind of club. It's one of the biggest clubs uh, in Europe, in my opinion. And uh, I, I think they have the wrong ownership. But uh, maybe they'll prove me wrong. Maybe they'll do better in England than they've done on the continent. Uh, where they've invested in a number of clubs and, and not done particularly well. Yeah, I think the, the point is the next six months are going to be some tough times for some of these American own, owners of Premier League clubs, some some big decisions ahead of them. So let's move on to the listener mailbag. And first up, we have Joe. Uh, Joe wants to talk to us about one uh, Premier League commentator in particular, or former Premier League commentator. Uh, Joe says, enjoyed the podcast, but couldn't help but notice both of you dis- Arlo White again, without going into why you don't rate him as a commentator. When I've heard him, he's got a good voice, calls it uh, a goal well, and has nice chemistry. Uh, There are far worse commentators than Arlo White. Is there something that bugs you both about his professional style? Not to disrespect the man, but you've praised Ian Dark in the past, and I think uh, Arlo White is comfortably better. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. 
Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Uh, Kartik, I, I think, I mean, for me personally, Arlo White, I think the ego got too big. Uh, he thought that he was one of the reasons why the Premier League was becoming so popular in the United States, which is absolutely laughable. Um, also was making some decisions behind the scenes to take jobs, uh, such as with Ted Lasso, um, without getting the approval of NBC Sports. So behind the scenes, you mean some kind of questionable decisions. Uh, in the games itself, personally, I, I, I know I felt uh, this way, but was just talking way too much, just was uh, not really a top-level uh, commentator. Yes, he has a great voice. Yes, he calls a goal well. I, I'd argue about the chemistry he had. Uh, I don't think it was quite there, but um, I felt he was always always more of a better TV presenter than a uh, actual television commentator. Uh, anything else to add there, Kartik? On, yeah, on your... I agree with, with you and, and, and with, uh, with Joe uh, that he calls a goal really well and he has a great voice. But I think I agree with you. He talked too much. He talked too much about extraneous things. I, I think there's a there is a certain chattiness to the way Ian Dark. I know Ian, Ian Dark is also criticized for talking a lot, but there's a chattiness and an informative nature to the way Ian Dark talks that I don't think Arlo White quite uh, had. I agree, he's a top presenter. I, I think he's a good studio host. I think he's actually probably pretty good if he's calling the third or fourth uh, biggest match of the weekend. I think he's fine doing that. But when you had him calling all the high-profile matches, that was an issue for me. And you just look at the upgrade. Peter Drury, John Champion, uh, arguably the two best. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, I, 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 um, I, I'm hooked on their commentary. I mean, I, I've been hooked on Champion for years, right? With various uh, stops he's had pre prior to this. But uh, Drury, who I knew and obviously would hear call uh, Champions League, there was the epic Roma-Barcelona yeah. uh, uh Champions League tie many years ago that that he became famous for right that he's calling that uh, that match but um, I'm now hooked on him each and every Saturday and then you get champion on Sunday uh, kudos to NBC it's not it's not as much about Arlo White being bad as much as it is Arlo White's limitations versus these two guys being just outstanding yeah it's just a huge upgrade on, on Arlo White you mean in terms of Peter Drury and John Champion uh, among others um, so we as I predicted, Kartik, I, I knew we would get some pushback about our uh, constructive criticism about NBC's coverage. Uh, Gerald says, I'll take predictable studio hosts with middle-of-the-road views and have all the footy in the world. And I think what Gerald's arguing is that, hey, we should feel fortunate to have access to all these games from around the world. Uh, and, and who cares about the studio coverage? I mean, we have the, we have the quantity... You mean don't don't worry about the quality of, of the studio coverage? Yeah, I I, I agree with that. Uh, where I would disagree with uh, with uh, Gerald is the, uh, the the middle of the road views. I think actually uh, one of my criticisms of NBC is that they have they have extreme views on the top six clubs. So any loss, any hiccup is a major crisis. Uh, the way they they handle it in the studio. Man United loses one match. Oh my goodness! Should Ten Hag be sacked? Uh, uh, Man City loses once. Oh, has Pep lost this touch? I, I mean, it's it's. I think it's actually extreme, in my opinion. But that's 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 me. 
Yeah, well, well, this leads into the next question, which is from Greg. Well, actually, it's more of a comment. Uh, Greg says, oh, good, this discussion again. Uh, serious question. If you admit to not watching the coverage much anymore, how can you say it's better or worse or stagnating? And, and Greg, that's a great question, because like, from this week, weekend, um, what I'm uh, on television, I have NBC Sports on or, or USA Network or whichever channel is showing the game. So I have it. I'm watching it. And then... Oftentimes, the actual audio uh, or pre-match or halftime or post-match, I'm listening to BBC Radio 5 um, and, and other places too, as far as kind of better quality, really expert analysis that I'm not getting with NBC Sports. But your question, Greg, is good because so I have them both on. Sometimes I'll mute the NBC broadcast to hear what uh, uh, the BBC or, or TalkSport or ITV or Sky Sports is saying. But sometimes I'll unmute NBC to hear what they're saying or see if there's a really good discussion point or something a little bit different. So so that's how I'm able to – I'm not basically watching much of it, but I am still watching bits and pieces of it. And the bits and pieces I've, I'm watching of NBC Sports uh, thus far in the last few weeks especially have been pretty mediocre. Um, and then let's move on. Ryan Evans says, I don't think CBS does good with the leagues that they have now, let alone get the Premier League. And, um, and let me just read this next comment too. Jonathan Morrod says, not really in any way that NBC is doing already. NBC must stop using Sky Sports and return to making original content. I know NBC owns Sky, but it's not the same. The first two seasons they had the league uh, was the best soccer coverage the U.S. had for a professional league. CBS will stick the Premier League behind a paywall like the like NBC did. Uh, there is too much opportunity for recurring revenue not to, so the overall uh, experience won't change. As a whole, all the leagues have good uh, homes, uh, pardon me, except for MLS. Uh, Apple TV needs a normal TV partner who is not Fox. Fox's World Cup coverage is the only thing they are getting, uh, they're putting an effort into. Their MLS coverage is basically non existent. CBS or TNT would be a better partner. So, yeah, on the CBS side, and there were several other comments about this too, about how uh, they felt that we, that CBS is too laughy laughy, uh, too much of, of that just kind of nonsense, basically. And from what, having watched MB, uh, CBS Sports, Champions League coverage quite a bit in the last well, couple of years, really. What I find is that there are segments where they get serious and have really insightful tactical analysis or uh, on-screen or interviews or really kind of uh, hardcore. And then the next segment will be kind of a laugh fest. So I think a lot of people are watching, see, are seeing the clips on social media, seeing the laugh fest but actually not watching kind of the analytical side where they do go deep into, into that. So, I mean, it, and, and oftentimes too, right, on a Champions League uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, they might have coverage that starts at, say, um, at noon and goes through all the way through till about 5 o'clock or 5.30. So there's a good, I mean, there's games involved in there too, but there's, there's several hours of, of coverage. So not everyone watches all of it. So I said, so my personal thinking is in terms of CBS and what they do is when they do uh, you mean, kind of go in laser focused on the, the analysis and those interviews, they're really, really at the top level. 
and then the the nonsense kind of the laughing the jokes and stuff like that um some people love it uh, obviously some people hate it so but it's not a an accurate representation of what CBS would do with the Premier League. Kartik, any additional thoughts about kind of the criticism about NBC Sports uh, and, and and also kind of CBS Sports and kind of the reaction from some, uh, some of our listeners? Yeah, I, I kind of agree uh, on the CBS point. I mean, I, I, I do think that uh, there is a little too much laughy, laughy, jokey, jokey, and, and, and uh, maybe um, – at times, a lack of knowledge of uh, uh, of clubs that are not in England or Spain. Um, I, I do I do think that there's like a fall off even with Germany and Italy in terms of their knowledge uh, of their of their studio team. So yeah. um, that I I definitely would criticize, and that's kind of ironic about the Italy portion. The Germany portion bugs me in particular because Bundesliga is my favorite league, but um, the um, favorite top division league, I should say. But I do think um, the Italy thing is confounding because they also broadcast Serie A. There's no overlap between, um, well, I mean, Drake Cordero calls games uh, for Champions League, but there's no overlap between the studios, right? So maybe that's something they have to remedy. But um, no, NBC, I, I think, has gotten very predictable and very stale. And I do agree with the point about Sky. I think um, Sky's coverage tends to be very focused on the top brands. And um, I think this change had happened with NBC before Comcast bought Sky. But yeah, they've really made it Skyified. And I agree, the first two seasons, uh, maybe the first three seasons, because the third season was the Lesnar year, right? Um, the first three seasons NBC had the Premier League was the top top of the shelf stuff, the best uh, soccer coverage we've gotten in this coverage, uh, in this country ever. And it's kind of dropped off. Uh, gradually since then. Remember at the time, they also had uh, Gary Lineker doing some original documentaries or, or documentaries his Goalhanger films was doing, but then also um, um, would debut on, ES, on NBC in, in the US. We would have him occasionally uh, in the studio. Steve Bauer was working for NBC at the time. Um, I think that there were, um, uh, Kyle Martino was around then. So I, I think that they, they were at a high point and they were also doing... Um, a lot of um, coverage of the other 14 teams because they were trying to educate Americans about the league. Uh, yep. That has dropped off since since year three. So I agree with that comment specifically. I think that's a great point. Yeah, what I would say about NBC Sports' coverage of the Premier League as a whole is that the top six, when it is a top six team, uh, their analysis is decent. Um, I mean, sometimes great, sometimes not so good, but overall decent. But the teams near the bottom of the division is pretty weak. And we saw that that this this Sunday too with Nottingham Forest, like pre-match, um, both Tim Howard and Robbie Musto. Well, Tim Howard was saying that, yeah, I think Nottingham Forest is going to end towards the bottom of the division. Uh, Robbie Musto was saying, okay, you mean like, yes, they've had this great home form, but they, they haven't won a lot of games. And both of them predicted that Aston Villa would, would win this game pretty convincingly, I, I think. They actually um, won at Stanford Bridge, by the way. So if <laughs> one away game, Forest, I just know that all day. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then even Luton Town. I mean, you look at Sunday, right? You look at Nottingham Forest beats Villa. Luton Town almost beats uh, Liverpool. It's really kind of the rise of the underdogs. And I think, I'm sure, I mean, they would have predicted too that Liverpool would have won that game against Luton. Um, but their analysis and, and, and knowledge, knowledge more so, of those lower league teams is uh, lower division teams is, is not as good as the top, top six. Uh, Kartik, we've got another comment here. This is from Michael F. 
Michael says, I'm glad others are echoing what I've thought all along about Paramount Plus's streaming quality of Champions League matches. It's so below par with what is offered by today's video offerings, video streaming offerings. Earth to Paramount Plus, most households now have large 4K flat screens that easily show the flaws of 720p telecasts. It might be worth something... um, uh, worth something maybe if CBS was head and shoulders above the rest in quality studio game and uh, studio, studio and game presentation. But come on, that's not certainly not the case. Um, and others too, kind of uh, chiming in in terms of uh, Paramount Plus, kind of saying that uh, that uh, they prefer uh, Peacock in terms of the quality of the, of the streaming quality. And and that's something too. I know I know you, we've, we've talked about before, Kartik, and you, you've mentioned too Peacock's. Streaming quality is uh, some of the best. Yeah, it's it's the best, I think, in terms of the actual quality of the streams. Uh, there is the clunkiness of Peacock at times, uh, but that's the case with every streaming service. I uh, We do, in defense of CBS, have to say that they're showing, um, what, you know, six, seven, if it's Europa League and Conference League, like 12 games at once. So that's, uh, and granted, they're picking up the UEFA feeds and, and just redirecting them. Uh, and doing whatever cosmetic uh, 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 adaptations to them. But they are showing many more streams at one time than Peacock is at the Premier League. So that's that's just one little caveat. But in general, I agree with the criticisms. I think Peacock's um, uh, Peacock streaming is is tip uh, is tip top if you don't have problems with the app. The actual stream is the best. Uh, Paramount Plus, it's not. I mean, it 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 is. Um, not where we would expect to be in 2023, quite frankly, in a lot of those cases. And then the uh, two more comments to go. Um, one is from SLC uh, VOL, and this is a message to you, Kartik, uh, <laughs> regarding taking a break from American politics and soccer. Uh, SLC says, uh, turn off the TV. It does wonders about American politics. No need to be a monk across the world. Um, I, yeah. I completely agree. Totally agree. <laughs> and then last but not least, uh, Adam has a comment about uh, HBO Max, now known as Max, and the uh, BR Sports, uh, Bleacher Report Sports. Uh, Adam says, I was wondering with Warner Discovery's new options uh, for their Max service under BR Sports, if they have plans for full game replays or DVR options. As a cord cutter who and, uh, and and as a Fubo customer, I was looking at English language options to watch USMNT games normally broadcast on TNT. Sometimes I can't watch games live, and I was looking for options to catch up on games a few hours after they broadcast. Right now, I end up having to watch Spanish language replays on Peacock, which works fine, but I'd really prefer an English broadcast. I've been I've become spoiled with services like Apple Plus, ESPN Plus, Peacock, and Paramount Plus. They all offer full event replays. Thank you. Love the podcast. So in answer to that, Adam, uh, and this is something I tested out recently for one of the uh, USMNT games, is they don't have a replay of the games. So all they have is the highlights. So if you go into Max after a USMNT game uh, or a US, uh, WNT game that airs on TNT and you want to watch that full game, Later that evening or, or the next day, it's not available. All they have is highlights. So um, that's definitely um, a negative there. Yeah, um, I, I, uh, I I have noticed that also with Max. By the way, uh, uh, 
I don't, I'm not doing a full Mia culpa, but I do now understand why it's called Max and they pulled the HBO label off because you've got Bleacher Report stuff on there. You've got CNN stuff on there. You've got TCM on there. So they're putting all, uh, all the Discovery, Warner Discovery brands into this one streaming service. So I get why they stripped the HBO name off of it, but it's still Max sounds kind of, just kind of silly. So Kartik, on a scale of zero to to ten, with ten being you mean the best ever and zero being the, the worst ever, how much equity do you give in the Bleacher Report name? Oh, <laughs> uh, one. <laughs> I'd, I'd give it a two, a two out of ten. Like so, so to me, I mean, like so, uh, you mean I'm sure. Within Max and within Warner Brothers and within Discovery, that they kind of think, okay, Bleacher Report, major name. There is that name recognition. At least we know what it is, right? But I think maybe because we're soccer fans and we've gone through all of the <laughs> all of the the bumps and bruises and the, the really negative experiences with it, and and really too, as far as Bleacher Reports of, of recent of recently, we don't hear much about any original reporting and any. They're not breaking news stories. Um, they rarely come up. Come up in I hardly ever hear them mentioned anymore. I'm sure they get, still get a ton of traffic. I'm sure a lot of it's on mobile apps, etc. But um, they've really gone off For the radar. For a while, CNN was was pushing uh, the <clears throat> idea that their sports uh, that their sports segments were presented by Bleacher Report, which was yeah. this, you know cross promotion nonsense. Um, I don't know if they do that anymore, actually. All right, listeners, um, so there's a bunch of different ways you can get in touch with us. We'd love to get your feedback, uh, any comments you have, any questions, uh, any things you'd like to disagree with us about, uh, et cetera. Uh, let us know. You can uh, call us and leave a, a voicemail, and that number is 561-247-4625. If you want to go ahead and send us an email, the email address is web at worldsoccertalk.com. You can go ahead and uh, reach us on Twitter, X, and that is at World Soccer Talk. Facebook is facebook.com slash World Soccer Talk. YouTube.com slash World Soccer Talk. You can post comments there. Uh, and last but not least, of course, uh, our website, worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, click on the podcast uh, navigation and then go ahead and leave your comments in the most recent episode. And we'll do our best to read out all of the best comments on our next episode. Kartik, what's going on with uh, Beyond the 90? What uh, can listeners and viewers expect to see there perhaps uh, from this past week or, or this coming week in terms of coverage? Yeah, a lot of coverage of the Jacksonville Armada's move to MLS Next Pro, as well as uh, Jacksonville's USL team that's launching your, your neck of the woods, uh, Jacksonville area. And general conversation about the soccer wars, uh, where the MLS Next Pro season just ended, USL League One season just ended, Nisa's in their playoffs, uh, USL Championship, the final is uh, this coming weekend on ESPN2, uh, Charleston and Phoenix. So... Um, a lot of positioning going on. Uh, this is what happens when you have a federation that's not uh, that's that, that's kind of asleep at the wheel in terms of managing pro leagues. And then, of course, a conversation about MIAs, which uh, in the comments section took a completely different turn than I expected. But um, if in fact MIAs, I think this is a conversation we'll probably hopefully have next week on the podcast. If it's confirmed that she's taking the USWNT job, a lot of excitement out there, but it's not confirmed yet. Uh, my uh question mark was why would the best 
manager in the world, in my opinion, on the men's or women's side, take the U.S. job. Uh, it speaks highly of the U.S. Soccer Federation if they if they are able to get her, but I, I have my concerns about how she'll be viewed and whether uh, this is the ideal job for her. So um, uh, check that out at Beyond the 90. So quick question, Kartik. Who's better? Who Who is more qualified, um, Emma Hayes or Serena Vigman? Emma Hayes. No. Emma Hayes is the best man. Come on. Uh, men's or women's. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Yeah, but what is, what, what is now, that? Now, granted, 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 this is an international job, and I realize there's a skill exactly. set associated with being an international manager, which would be partly my defenses of Greg Berhalter, quite frankly, because, you know, when you start mentioning club managers, I don't know that they fit a national team well. Um, that's a good point. This is an international job, and I hadn't thought about it that way. I, I think she's the best manager in the world. But, <laughs> um, again, I'm very club-centric, so maybe may, maybe there's a, a case to be made, actually. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe maybe we'll discuss that next week. Maybe I'll write about that this week. Yeah, maybe I'll be uh, Beyond the 90. So, so yeah. where can they find a bit Beyond the 90 again? It's uh, on uh, Substack? Yeah, beyondthe90.substack.com. All right. And for me and the rest of the gang at World Soccer Talk, you can find us, of course, at worldsoccertalk.com. We've got coverage uh, this week. Uh, I'm sure with the Champions League, TV schedules, etc. Um, we're celebrating actually this month is our 18th year in existence. Uh, and next week, Kartik is going to be hosting a uh, basically a discussion at SoccerX in Miami. Uh, in that event will be Don Garber, Alexi Lalas, uh, who else is there? Uh, I think Paul Barber from Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, and Kartik, so what, what's the uh, the segment that you're going to be uh, hosting? Yeah, Malagway has is updating his book. I read the 2013 edition. Uh, now I feel like I'm ignorant because apparently he's updated his Messi book, which I wasn't aware of, with yeah. information um, so, uh, from his move to PSG and uh, his move uh, to MLS. Now, I uh, was not aware of it because it's not out in the U.S., the book is out in Europe, ah, so the okay. updated edition. So I have his 2013 book. I've read it cover to cover, um, and so uh, it is brilliant, as was his book. Uh, so I've read three books by him. One was uh, Season on the Brink, I think it was called, about Liverpool, Season on yeah, the... Yeah, yeah something like that. Um, outstanding, and really talked about how Rafa Benitez went from being under fire to uh, uh, going to Istanbul and winning... Champions League, in, in, in a famous match, and then his biography of Pep, which gave me a real understanding of uh, 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 of Pep. And actually, I should say this: as a Manchester City fan, it's a pleasure to interview him because my um, all of my concerns about the appointment of Manuel Pellegrini, I was really unhappy when City sacked Roberto Mancini. Uh, maybe it's my preference for Italian managers, Italian football, that sort of thing. Uh, was not happy about the Pellegrini appointment when Balaguay. Uh, gave his uh, analysis of Pellegrini's time um, uh, in Spain at Villarreal and at, um, um, uh, this is before Malaga, so Real Madrid. I was convinced by his analysis, like, okay, this is the right guy. And he turned out to be the right guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was the perfect transition between Mancini and Pep. So I hold his analysis and his writing in high esteem. And it's a great privilege to be able to host a, a discussion with him um, at Soccer X. Uh, this will be on Tuesday. The fourteenth. Uh, let me get the date right. So, if you're coming to Miami for Soccer X, which um, a lot of people are, and I know there are different tiers of ticketing, 
Uh, there's some people who've already complained to me. Oh, they're in a lower tier; they can't go to all the all the uh, uh, breakout sessions, all the uh, all the discussions, all the panels. Um, but if you've got the right um, right right ticket, uh, check us out one o'clock um, on Tuesday, the fourteenth, uh, during the three days of SoccerX in Miami. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. So Kartik hosting and, and moderating and interviewing uh, Guillaume Balaguet uh, November 14th from 1 to 2 p.m. at Miami Soccer X. What are you going to do this week and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.